right, well, why don't we get uh, started here? Um, and uh, let me open up in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we uh, rejoice in you. We thank you, Lord, once again for another day. We thank you that we can close out this day by uh, looking into your word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that your spirit would lead and guide us, that we might be uh, encouraged, that we might our knowledge might be expanded, that we might our faith might be strengthened. We commit our time to you now. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know uh, the uh, general rules. Uh, please put yourself on mute unless you want to uh, say something or ask a question or make a comment. This way the background noise is, uh, is uh, not a problem. All right, so we're about ready. And uh, so let's get going. I invite you all back on the, uh, the bus for our continued tour of uh, the book of Job. So we uh, are going to be looking at a new character, uh, Elihu. Uh, But before we just get there, um, I just want to briefly go over uh, chapters 29 uh, through 31, uh, which is Job's last speech. Uh, So as uh, as you look to your left, you'll see chapter 29. And in brief, chapter 29 uh, recounts his past, his glory days before anything uh, happened to him. And except for the first verse, uh, every one of the verses contain a personal pronoun, I, me, or my. And because of this, uh, one might think that this is a, a declaration based in pride. Uh, and boasting of all his accomplishments, but rather Job is actually building upon the last verse of chapter 28, verse 28. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. And in a sense, he's answering that, that verse 20, how, by, you know, how do you do that? How do you show fear of the Lord and shun evil? And so he goes into this this, this uh, litany, you might say, um, and he speaks about his first couple of verses. He speaks about his relationship with God. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house. And everything was good. And he's talking about the blessings that uh, flowed uh, at that time, like cream and olive oil. And then Job goes on to recall his uh, influence among the people, verses uh, 6 through 11. Whoever heard me spoke well of me, and those who saw me commended me. Continues in 12 through 17, he remembers how he helped to rescue the poor, the fatherless, the widow. He worked for justice. Uh, Verse 16, I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. And he closes out that chapter in verses 18 through 25. Returning to the theme of how respected he was and, and uh, how he was, was so well received within the community. And, uh, you know, to Job, he's basically, yes, these were the good old days. Um, but as he said in the very beginning of the book, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. So then as we continue then, if you take a quick look over to your right at chapter 30. And the thoughts of his present reality and the roller coaster ride of emotions continues, and this time downward. He starts off lamenting, but now they mock me. He just talked about how the people respected him and they, they hung on his every word. But now they mock me, 
men younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to put with my sheepdogs. <laughs> this, is, this is the old-fashioned way of, uh, you know, uh, talking trash, you know. So, <laughs> and he goes on to recount how life has done a complete 180 turn for him, and, and now no one respects him, and God continues to be silent. Uh, in verse 10, they detest me and they keep their distance. They do not hesitate to spit in my face. And uh, then in uh, chapter 31, it comes to the last of Job's speech. And as one author noticed, it's an oath of clearance. What's called an oath of clearance in the form of a negative confession. The procedure was well known in ancient jurisprudence. A crime could be disowned by calling down a curse on oneself if one had committed it. The confession is addressed to God and it lists specific crimes in which Job denies them all. And the, the form is simple. If, if I have done X, then let Y happen to me. This is what he's saying. Uh, X is the crime, Y is the punishment. The reality is we could actually say, if, if I have done X, then let X happen to me. So he says, you know, if I am guilty of this crime, then may the same crime fall upon me. So uh, it starts off, I, ma I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at young women. And speaking of God, he says, does he not see my ways and count my every steps? In other words, God is watching that he keeps that covenant. The justice of God awaits those who lust. And over in uh, 5, five through 8, somebody say something? Okay. Uh, in 5 through 8, he addresses dishonesty. If I have walked with falsehood or my foot has hurried after deceit. And then since he mentions scales, it appears Job is speaking about dishonesty and weighing out grain and crops. And because that is also the punishment in verse 8, then may others eat what I have sown and may my crops be uprooted. In verses 9 through 12, he turns to adultery. If my heart has been enticed by a woman or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, then may my wife grind another man's grain and may other men sleep with her. So there's the, the tit for tat, you know, the back and forth. If I've done it, let it happen uh, to me. May it fall upon my head. Um, Job is, again, uh, he's, he's going through this whole list of what's called an oath, oath of a conscience. <clears throat> Verses 13 to 15, Job speaks of oppressing the poor. Job lived in a society that had slavery, and most slaves were considered chattel and denied all their rights. But Job makes a a, a very glowing statement, especially for the time, regarding his view of servants and treating them well. In verse 13 and 15, we read, If I have denied justice to any of my ser servants, whether male or female, when they had grievance against me, what will I do when God confronts me? What will I answer when called to account? Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? There's a great statement of equality 
of personhood between Job and his servants that he respected. And he's basically saying, you know, God made us both. We're both created by God. Uh, so I need to exercise justice towards them. So he moves on, then in verse 16 to 23, he addresses the sin of being stingy. Job talks about being generous to the poor, the widow, the fatherless, the naked. Uh, in verse 21 and 22, he, he has not done these things. If I have raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, and then let my arm fall, then, then let my arm fall from my shoulder. Let it be broken off at the joint. So again, we see, we, if I've done this crime, may this happen to me. He moves on to the sin of greed in verse 24. If I put my trust in gold or said to pure gold, you are my security. On to idolatry in verses 26. If I have regarded the sun, he goes on, he praised the moon. Uh, he readily acknowledges that this would be sin and would be punishable by God. And as the chapter draws to an end, Job uh, makes a test. It sets out a test in verse 35. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. And Job feels very confident in his case, so confident that he signs something, and then he rests his case. And uh, so this is a, the last uh, Job, of Job's speech, and this is where it ends, in this, what we might consider a signed document. And now he folds his arms and he awaits an answer. So now we pull over to our, our destination here, uh, chapters 32 to 37. We'll stop here uh, to look at the uh, next character, Elihu. And as I mentioned last week, scholars are divided over Elihu. And I asked you to read those chapters and see what you think. Uh, was, it, was, he, uh, was he a good guy? Was he a, a bad guy or something in between? Anybody get a chance to read that? Anybody have an opinion? I think he was a good guy, but then he was younger than all of them. Okay. Yeah. Yes. He, he he had a different opinion, so he didn't really accuse Job as much, but he sort of said to him that God, you know, how, like, who are you to really question the Almighty? And so he did have a different approach. It wasn't so much, you know, because of your sin, you're getting the the punishment that you deserve, but, you know, God is Almighty. Why are you questioning him? So okay. it was different from that perspective. I think he was a good guy. <laughs> I'm with Chinzi. <laughs> I, I remember this, and I actually wrote a paper on this in seminary. But I, I find even though Elo was younger, he was a lot wiser than these other three guys when it came to who God was, and he's trying to. He's trying to show Job how good God is and not really challenging Job as much as the other guys, but his focus was on God. It wasn't on Job. It was on God uh, through these chapters. 
Um, so I, I like him. I think he's a good guy. He's definitely not one of the three friends. He's, and I don't mean, like, it's interesting. He said three of his friends came to him. This guy, Elihu, he just shows up out of nowhere in this story. Unless I'm wrong. Did he, was he with these three guys or? Apparently he, he, he had to be there very early. Um, it, maybe he didn't come that first week when they were just sitting waiting with Joe because he, he knows what the others have said. He, he recounts what they have said. So he was there to hear. Um, okay. but, uh, uh, it, it, he's an interesting character. And, uh, one car- one, uh, commentator, uh, says this. He is the ultimate young fool. And his speech restores Job's dignity by default. Interesting. Another one says, Elihu performs fairly well, a master teacher. Although the substance of his speech contains little information that is new, he offers an approach that is essentially in preparation for the voice of God. So I tend to think that he was probably uh, more of a good guy. Um, and most of that comes from the fact that at the end of the book, all right, the, the last few tr- uh, verses, God uh, rebukes the other three friends for for their unwise counsel. And he says that Job has to sacrifice for them. But, he put, but God never mentions Elihu. He never rebuffs him. So um, I think he's a good guy, or at least in between, all right? And actually, what a lot of what uh, Elihu says uh, is sounds just like the voice of God in the last chapters. Uh, God says pretty much the same thing. So uh, let's, uh, let's take a little time here and talk about Elihu. Like the other three friends, uh, obviously he's long-winded, all right? He, his speech runs six whole chapters uh, in the Bible, all right? Uh, I guess they didn't have anywhere else to go, and they had very little distractions, so uh, they just sat there and they talked, you know? And it's very Mideastern. You never rush through uh, meals uh, in the Mideast. It's customary to sit there and, and talk. And if you've ever gone to any place in the Mideast or come from the Mideast, you'll know that, that that's true. I mean, even when we went on tour of, of Israel and we ended up in Jordan um, for one of our last, last big meals, it was a slow process. I mean, it was not like America where, you, you know, you want to bing, 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 you know, this course, that course, and the other, you know, it was like, are we ever going to get out of here? I mean, we're only like on, on, you know, on the second course here. Um, people expect you just to sit and lounge and talk. And obviously, these guys talked. Um, what things uh, do we, did we learn about uh, Elihu from the opening sec- sections? Uh, I think it was already mentioned. He was young. Uh, verse uh, Chapter 32, 2, he was also very angry. He was an angry young man, all right? He was angry at Job. He was angry at his friends, um, uh, and, he was, and he was younger. An angry young man that cannot contain himself any longer. Inside, I, I am bottled up wine, like new wineskins, ready to burst. I must speak and find relief. I must open my lips and reply. Now, Elihu does bring up a good point. In 32, 7 through 9. I thought 
age should speak. Advanced years should teach wisdom. But is the spirit in a man, the breath of the Almighty, that gives them understanding? It is not only the old who are wise, not only the aged who understand what is right. Now, within that culture, especially, and still today in the Eastern cultures, uh, age was kind of synonymous with wisdom. Age demanded respect and deference. Um, Remember, probably one of the most tragic uh, stories in the Bible is Rehoboam in 1 Kings 12 where he rejects the advice of the elders when he took over from Solomon and the people uh, were uh, coming to him and he asked the elders what to do and the elders said, go easy on them, basically, and they will be your servants forever. But he rejects the elders, he turns to the young men, his friends, and he says, what should I do? And he said, they said, make it worse for them uh, so that they, they fear you and will pay you more. And of course, he all but loses the kingdom because of that, the people basically uh, revolt and go home. Um, so uh, when we read something like that, us, us older folks, okay, like to turn to that when we're talking to our kids and say, so see, you listen to these young people and this is what happens, all right? Uh, you lose the kingdom, all right? Uh, you should listen to us old people. <clears throat> But uh, the truth is, uh, you know, that's, that's not always the case, right? Most of the time it is. I mean, we're older. We've been around the block a few times more than our kids or our grandkids. We're a little more streetwise. We know what the world is about. Uh, you know, uh, we are not wearing rose-colored glasses. Uh, you know, uh, life, uh, we've experienced life, and they haven't. And so uh, many times, most of the time, it's true. Um, older people generally are wiser and they have more experience, but not always. All right. There's nothing worse. What do they say? No other, no, no fool worse than an old fool. Uh, so um, Ecclesiastes 4.13 supports Ella Hughes' view. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. So wisdom should be possessed by the aged, but sadly, it often is not. And Elihu is correct in saying that wisdom and understanding come from God regardless of age. All right? Anybody think about how this is applicable to a, a, a New Testament person of being young? Paul wrote about Timothy. Timothy, yes. Do not let them despise you because of your youth. All right? Because, he, as, as the saying goes, he, he was wise beyond his years. You ever hear that expression? Uh, so, so, in that sense, he's, you know, he's very, very much right. Now, Elihu presents two points that he feels uh, is where the answer to Job's question lies. The first, though, not entirely new, and we uh, someone mentioned it before, all right? Uh, but he does bring a, a better focus, I think. 
first and thirty four twelve he says it is unthinkable that God would do wrong that the Almighty would pervert justice now these are are very good words to bring this whole thing of job's back into perspective because job is is kind of a wandering a little further off course here and um this brings him back and saying that Job's dilemma cannot be that God was doing something wrong or that he was in any way being unjust to Job. Job needed to hear that because a lot of what he had been complaining about was going in that direction. He's been drifting Remember his first, his first words in, in chapters, chapter one were so, so pious. You know, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. You know, a blessed be the name of the Lord type of uh, words that Job was, was speaking. All right. Um, but as we've gone through the, the book, we've seen that Job's, uh, faith has been shaken and, and his, uh, his, his argument has become more intense and aggravated. Um, in chapter 30, 21, it says of God, you turned on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attacked me. So here that, uh, you know, Elihu kind of is kind of pulling Job back into uh, perspective, laying a firm foundation. There is no injustice with God. Regardless of the fact that maybe we will never find an answer, this we know. God is not unjust. Yes, when I was reading this, one of the things that that came to mind um, was that, you know, Elihu's perspective was different also in that he seemed to speak more into, you know, how do I get Job to, you know, back to God? How do I put him back on track? As opposed to just condemning him for, you must have done something wrong, and that's why you're getting what you deserve. Um, so I thought that that was a good perspective for for us to learn to say, you know, when I am trying to, you know, uh, feel for somebody, right, and feel empathy for them, you know, what what, what am I to say when I open my mouth? You know, and, um, you know, I think we're called to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to, to guide our words and our actions so that when we do speak, we can sort of comfort that person and bring them back to the Lord as opposed to just speaking our mind and from our experience and say, well, I think that you should do this. Yeah, that's sure. That's good. That's right, Steve. Good. Um, and we see, we see that and we're going to see a little bit more of that. Um, as Elihu continues to his uh, his speech, Pastor Bob. Yes, I, I don't know if you got there, but it also seems as if uh, you're right. E, uh, Elihu was very angry, um, and he's angry because he wants to justify God, uh, and and he actually in verse thirty in chapter thirty four, um, from thirty to thirty seven, I think he really goes after Job. Yes, I agree with Steve. I don't know if he's showing him a lot of empathy here, 
he's trying to bring him back to God, but he's he's very strong in how he's expressing himself, much like a, maybe a young person, a zealous, headstrong person might do. Um, but he says, he actually says in verse 37, he says in 34, 37, uh, wait, I'm sorry, verse 36, oh, that Job were tried with the utmost because his answers are like that of wicked men. For he adds rebellion to his sin. He claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. So those are, those are some pretty powerful direct words. Um, he adds to his sin. So, you know, Elohim must have felt that, that Job had sinned in order to, to get the consequences he would get, was getting. And he's adding to it now. He's adding to it. Yeah, all these uh, guys, uh, including Elihu, uh, speak their mind, all right? Um, and uh, some of it is, is not pretty. Um, whether whether that, that, that is a helpful remark or not, um, only, uh, only Job and God really know, all right? Maybe sometimes uh, you have to say something hard in order to get somebody's attention. Sometimes you do have to say the hard things, you have so we have to kind of balance, you know, Steve's remark before about uh, being encouraging in what we say and be spirit-led, uh, but the spirit may also lead you to say something very, uh, very hard and truthful. But but we don't what we don't want to do is like the other three friends go there and just just start to, you know, call person names, you know, and uh, uh, put him down and tell him how bad he is uh, without any any further thought of it. Pastor Bob, if I can just interrupt for one second. So is it wrong for Job to be, you know, asking questions of God? It almost seems like, you know, in this whole section, he's saying, you know, how, how, how dare you are questioning God's, you know, motives. Is that, is it, is it sinful to question God's motives? Well, that's a good question. How, how about the rest of you? Somebody want to venture an answer? Pastor, um, but maybe uh, we should consider that Job is uh, defending himself because according to him, he's uh, self-righteous and that he didn't do nothing wrong. And the other three friends, they are saying, listen, the reason that you are getting through all this, something is wrong in you. Uh, You did something to offend God. Elio comments, uh, and I think he's angry because he see that self rationate in, 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 in job. And this is what is bothering him. Uh, um, and I think he's being honest. He's saying, as far as I can remember, I haven't failed in nothing in my life. So I think he's just looking for answer. Why did it Something so horrible is happening in my life when I consider myself innocent in all these areas that, that you know, uh, that since I've been in, in, um, with my family, the way that I deal with my servants, the day that I deal with my money, all the things. He said, I don't find anything wrong in here. And I don't think there's nothing wrong to, to, to question God. You remember Jesus when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe we can tie that in in there. Just to piggyback on uh, Winston, um, you know, bringing up 
you know, even Jesus did question God. And it, it depends upon, you know, it's like the Psalms. If you're angry with God or you question God, does that anger and questioning bring you closer to God? So God, you're a good God. Why is this happening? Help me understand versus separating me from God. So to question God or to have an emotional um, response to what God does is fine. It's used to bring you closer to God and to an understanding of God. If, on the other hand, it's basically, I don't want anything to do with this, I don't understand, I want to walk away, then it becomes sinful. You're, you're, you're muted, Keith. You, you, the I last part went out. I guess I have to say amen when I'm done. <laughs> okay. No, I'm done. Okay. Yeah, um... I do not think that it's wrong to question God. All right. Uh, you know, we had a, a saying uh, in our house with our kids when they were uh, younger and at home, and they would get very angry at some rule we made or some, you know, you can't go here or there or something or other. And, uh, you know, they would be as, as mad as a hornet. And they would come and they would be angry and they would raise their voice and, you know, demand to know this and demand to know that and why this and why that. But there comes a point where you understand that their tone has changed. And it's not no longer just questioning and, and, and wanting answers, but it, it, maybe the, it's crossing the line to disrespect. And we would say, all we had to do was say, Watch that tone. And we would tell them, you can talk to us about anything. You can complain about anything. You know, that's your prerogative as a person. All right. You can state your case, but watch your tone. If you cross that line, we're done. All right. And then the, the hammer of God comes down. All right. So, um, but, um, and I think that that's a little bit what we have here. Okay. Um, God is letting Job go on and on and on, all right? And, uh, you know, there's going to come a point when he's going to say, enough's enough, okay? Stand up, and now I'm going to talk, all right? And, and, uh, and so I think that that's what we have here. But if you look at any of your prophets, all right, um, certainly in the Psalms and David, but Jeremiah, uh, his Lamentations, mm -hmm. Uh, they're questioning God. They're calling God out. Yep. All right. I mean, they, they use uh, very graphic language. Um, and we wonder why, you know, God doesn't come down heavy on them. All right. Um, but God is very patient and he understands. He understands the creature that he made and our emotions. And uh, um, he doesn't. And he allows them to, to rant and to question. And, and then he answers them in one form or another. And that's what uh, is happening here with Job. And, and Elihu was kind of like, like the, the, the one the commentator said, he's kind of preparing Job to hear the voice of God. Because Elihu is, is about to say many things that God almost repeats verbatim when he starts talking. Um, in 
Elihu, but I tell you, in this you are not right, for God is greater than any mortal. And this again speaks, it goes back again to speak about God's sovereignty. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He is sovereign above all things. And so, once again, Elihu brings this fact out. Right? There's no injustice. God cannot do wrong. God is sovereign above all things, uh, above all mortals. Uh, and then I think his his major contribution to this whole uh, argument is found in uh, chapter 36, verse 15. It reads, He delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. What do you think that means? He delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. That that means to me that when people are struggling more, they listen to God more. Mm. Very good, Chimsy. I think if you don't, if you're a Christian and you're not having any sort of struggles whether it's an emotional struggle or it's a financial struggle or it's if there's various types of struggle then something is wrong because I feel like in your moment of deepest need and deepest pain when you have no one else to turn to but God that's when you can either go one of two ways and hopefully it's the way where you draw closer to God because you recognize that he can do anything and there's an opportunity there for you to look back and remember that moment when God saved you or some people do unfortunately in those moments they turn away from God and they say that if God was real this would not happen to them and they turn away from God so that does happen um if they lose someone or they're struggling with a sickness or they have an emotional like depression or something that they're going through, then they say if God was real, that it wouldn't happen to them. But some Christians, that's where God meets you at your deepest point of your need and he becomes more real to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Very good someone once said that God sometimes speaks in a whisper, you know, that's the, the still the silent, still soft voice. But many times because of the way we are, he has to use a baseball bat to get our attention. And, you know, it's, you know, what is, what is persecution and trouble? What does Paul say? It brings, it brings patience. It brings all these wonderful gifts and fruits of the spirit that, uh, that only come when we have adversity. Uh, people on the mountaintop often don't see God. When you're in the valley, you really, really look for him and see him. So some, sometimes he puts you in the valley so that you look for him, especially if you've wandered off a little bit. Yes, yes. Uh, C.S. Lewis said something like that, that God shouts to us in our pain. Yeah. Uh, he whispers in the good times, but shouts to us in our pain. Um, yeah, this is Elihu's major contribution to all of this. Suffering can be instructive. 
in suffering, God can speak to us as no other way. Um, like Chimsey, Chimsey said, people hear, hear better often when they're in the midst of turmoil, when they're in pain. God can get a hold of them. Um, suffering can, uh, can reveal uh, something of our character to which we have been blind. All right, we all we think that we've got everything under control, that we're really good guys, and uh, like Job, uh, you know, we we've done everything right. Um, but then we start to to run into trouble or or we suffer, and 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 something God wants to dig down deep, and He wants to find that thing that's hidden down in the heart. Wait, maybe you know, maybe it's a, a self righteousness. <clears throat> you know, may, may, who knows what it might be? Maybe it's a uh, you know, overconfidence. <clears throat> it could be uh, anything that's down there, but the only way to get it is to kind of pull the rug out from under him. You know, uh, he saved Paul from so that he wouldn't become conceited by giving him a thorn in the flesh. Um, you know, uh, and other uh, adversity helps us listen to God better. And other scriptures is is a. Uh, Pete said, uh, tie suffering into character, character development as well. Uh, Romans 5, 3 and 4. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And of course, James 5, 10 and 11 Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So this is his real contribution. And this this really, I think, uh, makes Elihu... Uh, you know, worthwhile. It, nobody has has brought this out before. All right, this is this is new and it's very scriptural. All right, and it puts a a, a new perspective on things. Oh. Didn't print out the other. So, any further comment on that? Does anybody have an example of uh, when you were going through a tough time and God spoke to you about something? Made a lot of sense at the time? <clears throat> I think as we go through our, our difficult times, as we go through our valleys, <clears throat> All right. Um, uh, you know, we, we we just, for the true believer, naturally draw closer to God. You know, um, we need him more. You know, that I, I always look back on the time, you know, and I've told you this story a number of times, but I always remember it. <clears throat> you know, we pray that uh, our kids would grow up and serve the Lord, you know, with all their heart and you know, and really go into ministry or something like that. And then, 
Then when our daughter Tina decided was in college, she decided to be a missionary overseas. You know, it was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, you know, you could be a missionary here. You know, uh, you, you don't have to go all the way overseas. You know, you don't have to go to, to Kenya and uh, you know where where Dad can't get to you right away. And, uh, and so you know, and yet when she did go, well, I'll tell you, we prayed more fervently. You know, because now, you know, it was on our hearts in a, in a new and different way. And it was out of our control. And, uh, and, and I think that, you know, we learned a lot about trusting God uh, through that experience that we maybe wouldn't have if that didn't happen. Yeah, I, for, for myself, Pastor Bob, I would say that um, my deepest time of prayer is when I'm struggling with what, what I love the most. Um, when we're having real struggles with our teenagers, I find myself praying a lot harder. Um, or when in the past I have trouble even in, in our marriage life, when we had conflicts, I pray even much harder. Um, when I thought things were really on the edge, I would spend the whole night praying. So when I woke up the next day, I was hopeful that that fight was over, you know, or God would, God would break through, you know, God would break through. And he always did. Sometimes it took a couple of days, but the couple of days of praying pretty hard. Uh, when you're in a marriage and you're struggling with the, whatever you're struggling with, and only God can provide the breakthrough. And me and Terry say it all the time. We say it to everybody. If it wasn't for God in our life, we wouldn't be together today. Um, and I just, that's where I draw really strong prayer time. When there's struggles with my kids or struggles in, in the marriage, I think because it's what's most important to me. We usually pray for what, what we find most important, uh, where it hits us, where it hits us the hardest, it hits us the closest. That's when we really start praying. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And you know, the thing is, obviously, Tina was my daughter and I, I totally loved and invested in her. Um, so we prayed from our heart. Um, because we uh, loved her so. And, and this is one of the difficulties I have sometimes, I'll be perfectly honest, with, uh, with praying for people I don't know. You know? Um, now, we support, you know, different missionaries and, you know, in the past, and they're missionaries all over the world. I don't know who they are. <clears throat> I only know by what I read about them. I, I think they're wonderful people. I, you know, I... Uh, I, I I applaud their sacrifice and their effort. But if I was honest, all right, um, my, my prayer is supportive, but it's, it's not deep. It's not anywhere near how I prayed for my daughter, whom I loved. And when I have friends who go into ministry somewhere who I know, the prayers are, are, are much more real and, and felt. And, uh, you know, and, and I think that, uh, you know, that's just the truth about how we get tied uh, to, into praying fervently, I think the, the more fervently, based upon how much we love. Pastor. Yes, sir. Um, I remember when I came to New York in um, 1987, and after one week, I lost all my legal papers in the train station. Uh, and I couldn't find a job. And for four months, 
I was sleeping in the floor of this old church in Queens, in the floor. I had to put my clothes in the, the bag. And sometimes I will go out without eating for the whole day. And I remember that in that floor of the church, I was always praying and crying. But to be honest with you, I never felt God more in my life during those times. It was the most beautiful revelation of friendship with God. And it was the more, the most beautiful time ever in my life. And, and, and God mold us through suffering. That's, that's the way that he worked with us. He mold us through suffering and hardship. Yes. And, uh, you know, you just confirmed, you know, everything that everybody has been saying. And that's quite a testimony, uh, Winston. No. We praise, we praise God uh, that you felt that and that God saw you through it. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen. Well, I want to say something concerning Elihu. You know, he spoke or his anger was um, raised so much because um, the other people that spoke, they didn't find answers. So I think that was the big, that was the key for me. You know, when people kind of, when you don't have answers to anything, that is when you depend on God. Because if you had answers, you wouldn't be able to trust God. You know, people will go about their life. You know, when they face challenges, they could solve it. They keep going on with their life. But with, you know, circumstances and when Job's friends were condemning Job, they were condemning Job without even having answers. So why are you guys condemning Job? Because you guys think, because they thought, it's not that they were sure of, you know, Job committing any sin or whatever. They were just, you know, saying all those things because of their own perception or their own thought about probably Job committing a sin. So I think that, you know, even in our regular lives, especially for me, when I don't have answers to circumstances or to things, that is when I pray more than when I know that answers are coming. Because if I have answers coming or somebody is going to respond to me quickly, then I wouldn't pray as hard as when I know there's no hope anywhere, no answer is coming there's no solution this is like a death sentence and then that is when you know there's so much you know perseverance and prayer good good thanks chimsy you know this is this is uh you know we talked a lot throughout this uh, study about the sovereignty of god all right and to really grasp that you really have to look at the scriptures but you know we're always after answers but this comes at, at, as something of a, a you know a, a a neon light flash. God doesn't owe us answers. He doesn't have to tell us why he runs the universe like he's running it. Yeah. 
some reason we we think that we you know he owes us he owes us an explanation of what's going on you know so we can finally rub a stamp and okay now I got it guy go ahead you know it, it, it's it's almost the the, the 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 height of of prideful boasting uh, that that you know sometimes we confront God and say I, like Job I, I want to know. God, is that right? Say, too bad. <laughs> I'm not telling you. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, you know, and so Job is, had gone through that. Elihu, you know, brought some, some light to it. And uh, then from chapter 36, 22, through the end of his speech in 37, 24, uh, you know, Elihu just points Job to God. This is probably what the best thing any of his friends could have done is point him to God and, and God, who God really is. You know, uh, things like, you know, he, he's talking about God. How great is God beyond our understanding? The number of his years past finding out. He draws up the drops of water, which distill as rain to the streams. The clouds pour down their moisture. And abundant showers fall on mankind. Who can understand how he spreads out the clouds? How he thunders in his pavilions? You know, he goes on and, and his heart pounds and leaps. Uh, listen, listen to the roar of his voice, the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He unleashes the lightnings from the whole heavens. He sends it to the ends of the earth. And after that comes the, roar, the sound of roar. He thunders and his majesty and God's voice thunders. Uh, he says to the snow, fall on the earth and to the rain shower, so that all men he has made, made may know his works. He stops every man from his labor. The animals take cover. And on and on he goes and just pointing to God. Listen, listen to, to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God controls the clouds and makes the lightnings flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised? Those wonders of him who uh, is perfect in knowledge? You who swelter in your clothes when the land lies hushed under the south wind, can you join him in spreading out the skies, hard as mirror of cast bronze? Tell us what should, uh, what we should say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of our darkness. And so Elihu, once again, uh, just kind of closes out this uh, in verses uh, 23 of 37. The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness, he does not oppress. Therefore, men revere him. For he does not have regard for, for he does not have regard for all the wise in heart. So here's a beautiful ending to his speech in that he points to God. And all that God has done in very poetic fashion, obviously, because it's basically a, a poetic book. All right. Um, and uh, he ends his speech. So I think the young man uh, had a lot of good things to say. Um, I don't think he was at all foolish. It's, I find it hard to think of him being foolish, especially the way he ends that, that speech with pointing to God. I think it, it was a pivotal point to uh, bring in the, the uh, 
point of affliction, as to a, as being instructive and learning. And uh, so he ends there. Any final thoughts or questions, comments? Yeah, I do agree with Steve before when he talks about uh, Elihu uh, with the empathy and trying to bring trying to bring Job back to God. I think that what you just said is absolutely right, Pastor. And, uh, you know, when I look at this um, 37.14, listen to this, O Job. Stand and consider the wondrous works of God. I mean, that's that's what we want to do. We want to deal with people in their suffering and their pain. We always want to try to bring them back to God um, as godly people. That's all I know. Okay, anyone else? You know, what's interesting is, and I'm thinking what John said and what uh, Winston said, it's not that God has gotten closer to us when we're in those times of need, because God can never be closer to us than he is. It's how we get closer to God. Because when Winston, you know, God is just as close to Winston right now than he was on the floor of that church 20 years ago. But our attitude is when it seems like when we're in need and when we need God, we seem to be closer because we draw closer to God and we have feel closer. But God doesn't like, okay, I'm walking away now because they're not, they don't have the need of me. It's us who turn and our intensity towards God becomes less. So it's, you know, I'm not saying God's fault, but it's our fault because we could have that intensity all the time. Now we don't want the trouble that comes with it. We don't want all the difficulty and the hardship, which was described. But I can't help noticing that it's us that gets closer to God, not God that gets closer to us. Good. Good point, Sal. Good observation. I was going to say that um, I'm not sure if this was said to Job when it first happened, when he had those losses, if he could really take this in. I think the time was right for him to hear it now because of all that he himself has lamented and all that his friends had said to him that really um, was not helpful uh, because he really suffered. I mean, there was, uh, it's beyond, you know, what's imaginable, how much loss he had. And I think that if someone, if I had that kind of loss for any of us and someone came to us, well, you know, God is sovereign and he's mighty and he's the God of all wonders. I, I, I don't think without first having empathy and a time where you allow the person who's had suffered losses to lament and, and get out all his feelings, even his anger towards God, that it would have been effective. I, I think the time was right for Job to hear it at this time. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I think we've spoken about that in, in the past. You know, uh, the scriptures tell us that we are, should, should mourn with those who mourn. All right. Um, and there's time for answers. Mm-hmm. And questions, uh, but often right in the beginning, uh, that's not the time. That's just the time to mourn. Uh, and like I said, the, the best thing that the th- three friends did for Job was to sit there for a week in mm-hmm. silence, just knowing that, that they were there, that, that he, you had friends to support you. Then they started opening their mouth and things kind of got, uh, <laughs> got worse. <laughs> so, I, uh, I, I kind of think like, you know, when oh, going back to chapter 35, you know, Job was, I think Elihu spoke because Job was kind of 
now you know succumbing to whatever his other three friends were saying you know Elihu, Elihu had to point him and told you to like that he should she should not open his mouth in vain because he's saying things without knowledge so I think Elihu kind of like wanted to tell you you know what you've been doing great all this while you know not cursing God and we are kind of getting on an edge so could you like stop speaking now and you know remind that reminding Job of all the great things God is and all the great things God has been to him and stuff like that so I think that when Elihu spoke was actually to like tell Job not to derail but to just keep being steadfast so yes and steadfast is a good word you know a lot of times and uh when we sometimes get hit with something really harsh and, you know, uh, how many times people have come to me and they say, you know, uh, I can't believe God loves me, you know, to allow this type of thing. I always kind of try to tell them to, to go back and look at the cross. That shows you how much God loves you. I can't give you a reason for what's happening to you right now. But I don't doubt that God loves you because you look at look at the cross. He loved you enough to to send His Son to, to die for you. And uh, you know that those guys are talking about the sovereignty of God. We kind of maybe find it easier to point to the love of God uh, on on the cross. But um, all good stuff. All right, um, time is up. All right, let's, uh, for, for next week, um, you know, uh, for those of you who may not know, uh, my son is moving to Virginia. <clears throat> All right, and he, uh, things are moving very rapidly, and we've got to get him down there and get him set up. Um, so um, I want to move ahead quickly, and uh, I want to try to maybe finish this up next Thursday. So uh, read, uh, read what God says, uh, right, to the end of the book. And, uh, you know, the bus ride will be a little quicker, um, but we'll get to the end uh, next week. Hey, right. Pastor, just real quick, I got to tell you, it's the, some of the best chapters in the whole Bible about what God is all about, about the creation. There's so many riches in there. Just take the time to meditate on those chapters. You'll be blessed, everyone who reads it. Okay. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer then. Our Father and our God, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this evening, for our discussion, for the, uh, the insight into your word. With Lord, we, we bow before you, and Lord, we, we have much to learn about your sovereignty and, and your will in, in this world and in our lives. But we thank you for this evening, Lord. We pray that as we uh, finish up the book, as we read uh, your word, literally your words, uh, Lord, that uh, we indeed will be blessed, as John said, uh, with these powerful chapters. Thank you for this time. We ask your blessings upon each one here. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Good to see you all out tonight. Thank you, Pastor. Right. Thank you. 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 Thank you.